This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, June 20th, 2020. I was about to say we're almost halfway through the year, and then I had to pause to remember if that was actually still true now. Because it's 2020, and I don't know, that just seems like something that might change for no reason. Just because it's 2020, and they're doing that kind of thing. It's the year that won't stop giving, but it's true. In fact, we are already halfway through. Or almost halfway through. We've still got 11 more days. Don't don't split hairs with me, Betty Warpig. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking of. That's why I paused for but a half millisecond. Because I was making sure I was about to say something accurate and true. <laughs> Is Only accuracy... I did it much faster than you, apparently. <laughs> Nobody cares much about accuracy anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, is accuracy on the internet allowed anymore? Um, yeah, so it's true. It, it's almost, we're almost halfway through 2020, folks. Um, I don't know if that means, you know, we should celebrate that half the year is done or we should be nervous because we still have a half a year coming. So... Yeah, we started off last week, I think we were talking about tearing down statues of Confederate war people. So we've now moved on past that. We're now tearing down statues of saints, Catholic saints, abolitionists, and generals who literally stopped slavery. Crazy, right? They're just everybody. I think we're going to rename that infamous terror, terrorist organization from Antifa to Antista, the anti statue organization. It's almost like it doesn't have anything to do with, with slavery or, or racial grievances at all. I, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I know there was some kind of big weird story. Oh, yeah, that weird story. <laughs> oh, we got to talk about this weird story before we get to the meat and drink of the episode. Because this is weird, man. The Last of Us 2. Now, I knew The Last of Us 2 was going to be bad because of all those leaks. But I did not know it was going to be so freaking weird and twisted and bizarre. Um, so, so the last so, of us... Say what? I was going to say, just, just to recap, someone, some disgruntled employee leaked video from the game that spoiled some, some horrible things like the fan favorite character being killed off by a char character in the story. Yeah, not only is he killed off, it turns out he's killed off within two hours of the beginning of the game. <laughs> so that's not even a spoiler anymore. That's just the beginning of the game. That's why the credits are rolling, right? You, you haven't even gotten 
to play the game at that point. Hey, no. hey, the, I got to jump in there for a second. What is wrong with video games these days that you consider two hours the beginning of the game? <laughs> uh, I blame Final Fantasy 13. 20 hour tutorial, pretty much. Wow. <laughs> so, in that two hours of a zombie apocalypse game, you kill three zombies. Now, that's not the weird part. The weird part is this. The guy who made the game, Neil Druckmann, made... He was so... Uh, he was so rectally wrecked by the comments <laughs> he got by the negative comments he got that he created you know how sometimes in comic books they'll have like little stat write-ups like little G.I. Joe cards of various characters and it'll mm -hmm. give their history their background and, and relative power levels yep. like strength and luck and all that stuff Almost like they were role-playing characters. Sure. Well, Neil Druckmann created a comic book character called Dr. Uckman. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, Dr. Uckman has brains of 100. Which wow. presumably is the max. But he only has a brawn of 60. Uh, and then he doesn't have any other stats. Because apparently that was... He was pegging <laughs> his creativity at that point to come up with any more stats. By the way, folks, this is actually now topical. What we're going to talk about during the rest of the show. So this is, this is not a pointless diversion... This is on topic for this show. Um, and then he's talking about, he leads a group of people called the New Dogs. Which is to say his company who made the game, Naughty Dog, now has a bunch of new employees because a bunch of old ones done quit. For wonder why. Reasons. Hmm. Um... And then he has this entire long spiel about how he's a villain and how he, the villain is robbing money to pay for this secret project. But actually, the secret project is trying to do some good stuff. And he's just trying to do the right thing, man. But nobody understands, man. And they're just like harsh and his mellow, man. And they're coming down on him. And they, the, the man is coming down on him. And really, he's just hoping that once they get this project finished, man, once they get it finished, people will understand all these poor, misunderstood new dogs, man. I see, I see his file card here. It says he longs for the day where his subjects will be treated as equals. That poor deer. So, <laughs> I mean, 
point where I am making this up in, in dramatizing it, but I'm not making it up. It's in the card. Only it goes on lots longer than I did because uh, once again, you know, memes from a certain faction of people tend to be walls of text. Mm -hmm. So this is a wall of text card. <laughs> it's like he couldn't even be concise on cards that were like at most supposed to be 300, <laughs> 400 words. I don't know what the hell's up, but that's not the weird part, folks. I'm just breaking, breaking the ice with this. Neil Druckmann created a self-insert comic book supervillain so that canonically in the world of The Last of Us, you could have gone to a newsstand or a comic book shop and bought a comic book where he was a poor, misunderstood supervillain, but who has really had some good points. <laughs> like Magneto, I guess, or something. At least he knows he's a bad guy. Um, so, that's one layer of self-insertion. <laughs> um... But we're, we're going to go at least one layer deeper. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to imagine. But he also created a character in the game who looks almost exactly like him. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Same haircut, same receding four, uh, you know, same receding hairline. Just almost looks exactly like him. Like same body build and everything. So this is what's known as a self-insert character. So he has at least two self-inserts. In the game. He has inserted himself twice. And, and you would think that would be bad enough. That inserting yourself twice would be bad enough. But it gets worse. And we're not even to the weird part. I wish that was the weird part. Because that's even weirder. Like, the king of self-inserts was Lord British, right? Do you remember Lord British? Uh, Ultima, right? Ultima, right? Yeah. Like, the guy who made the Ultima series had people call him Lord British in real life, and then he had Lord British in the game. And uh, that was... That's who he was. I guess. He saw himself as being the person he was being in the game in real life. Whatever. That was weird. He only had one... He only inserted himself once. One self-insert. 
Well, Neil Druckmann inserted himself twice. So he, he outweirded Lord British, the most famous of weird self-inserts. And you may say, Daddy Warpig, you're stalling here. And I'm saying I, I'm in s sort of stalling. Yeah. Daddy Warpig, you're stalling here. Yeah, I'm sort of stalling. Um, you don't know how to say it. Weird and then weirder. So the, the first thing of weird is... Uh, Joel gets killed two hours in. Elite character from the last game. He gets shot to hobble him. Then he gets beaten to death with a golf club. Spoilers. Sorry. Spoilers. Should have announced that. Sorry. My bad. Seriously. Nobody not, cares. Not trying to joke. My bad. I should have said spoilers. Beaten to death with a golf club. Then... The self-insertion character of the director of this game spits on Joel's corpse. Subtle. So we have the person who killed Joel. But this other character spits on his corpse, and the other character is the self-insert of the game's director. Okay. Here's where it gets just weird, bizarre, creepy. These two characters, the murderer and the self-insert, go off to a van. Oh, no. <laughs> Where the self-insert of the director of the game inserts himself and pleases the murderer. That's... In exactly the way you think that I'm saying he does. And this is not like you're outside with the camera on the van. You're kidding. Watching it rock. If the van is rocking, don't come knocking. No, no, no. This is a fully animated, <laughs> lengthy scene, possibly mo-capped. <laughs> in high-quality animation, or so it has been allowed to me. I refuse to go to the So I'm going to count that as a third self-insert, just because I can. It counts. He, he's inserting something, yeah, about that. That's, that's really gross. So... Oh, there's another the layer to the weirdness. 
the director of the game, not only does he write a murder into the game where they murder the previous hero, hero. He spits on the corpse of the previous hero and then he goes and has a, 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 a sex scene where he pleases the murderer. Now, there, there's there's an additional layer of weirdness. Uh, DJ Schreffler in chat, thanks for listening in, has pointed out that, that this murderer is supposedly a uh, male to female? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Really? No. There is uh, another trans character, but it's a different character. This is just a really, and I mean really masculine looking woman. Okay. Like, you know, so, so uh, we're like not a we're lineman not in the, looking woman. We're not we're not in the weird territory. We're just in unfortunate territory. Yeah, for her, yeah. But man, <laughs> I just how do you go so wrong in your life? <laughs> I'm not even talking about, about offending the fans. I'm just saying that is weird, man. You don't do that. Hey dude, that, if if you were director of your own video game, you could do whatever you wanted. I just, I can't fathom. I mean, let's say this was the first game in the series. Let's take away spitting in the faces of the fan of the last game away. What the hell? You, why would you do that? Have a self-insert of yourself. Just, what the hell? Any of that. So I'm telling you, this is 2020. This is a triple A video game. One of the most anticipated games of this entire generation is currently sitting at Almost the highest rated game on the PS4 has a 95 Fake Metacritic ratings. score. <laughs> it, it, it has reviews, literally 10 of 10, 5 of 5, 100, calling it the best game of the generation. Gaming finally grows up. Stunning Maybe and brave. the best game ever. User scores after 24,000 of them are 34. Journalist scores are 95. Bestest ever. Wow. What a surprise. And they're, they're just effusively, effusively praising this game with that scene. And I'm finally looking at this mess and I'm thinking that, that is a 2020 video game release. Nothing less than that van scene would have made it a real 2020 video game release. <laughs> so do you control him in the van or are you just forced to watch? You're just forced to watch. Uh, I don't know whether that's that's better or worse. I'm just thinking about the uproar Mortal Kombat caused in arcades. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've come a long way, folks. Yeah, we or sure have. Stopped the cart and started backing over the bodies. We've gone a long way down. <laughs> and there's no bottom except for Druckmann. So, wow. so John, I, I told you I had a weird story for this week, a 2020 story for this week. Did I succeed in I'm, finding a 2020 story? I'm blown away. This That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I heard it was bad, but those details had eluded me. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> Shall we get to our guests? I'm done. I don't want to dwell on this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What a... I, I just met these guys. Uh, they seem they seem great for putting up with the uh, war pig rand. Why don't you introduce them for us? <laughs> All right, um, we have Shell Presto and Mike DiMaggio, both of whom, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm Paul. No, that's that's correct. All right, I pronounced it like I imagine an Italian name would have been pronounced, and um, and I met them on MeWe, and then Art Anon, as I said last week, hooked us up so we could get. Uh, so we could get some, uh, uh, get hooked up and talk about some things and get them on the show so they could show off, uh, Ascension Epic, uh, which is a superhero, uh, supernatural sci fi superhero universe, uh, which is kind of what ties into Dr. Uckman. <laughs> I mean, if you were going to create a supervillain for a comic book, I could think of at least 13 better names right now than Dr. Uckman. That's just ridiculous. But anyways, so they uh, this is the week they could come on the show. We invited them on, and uh, they just closed a, a successful Kickstarter two days ago. Uh, welcome, folks, and uh, why don't you, you introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, I'm Mike DeBaggio, and Shell is my wife. Uh, Shell Presto is a nickname that she had for a while. Uh, and uh, we're I'm the primary author, and Shell is the artist and also an author. Uh, and we created the uh, – well, we have, we have uh, six books out now, six published books. We just finished the Kickstarter for uh, a literary and RPG zine. Uh, it'll be first in a series called Dauntless. And uh, yeah, uh, we are not part of the death cult. And I really don't, I, I'm, uh, I'm having a hard time thinking how, how to, how to follow up that introduction. If you're, if you're looking for, um, <laughs> if you're looking for, for contempt for, for the fans and stuff, uh, and you're looking for like really perverse crap, you will not find that uh, in our, in our books. So I'm sorry to disappoint. Wow, so I, had, I, had, I had this whole set of expectations about comic books, and I was hoping that, that someone would finally come along and subvert all those expectations. <laughs> and what can I say? I'm really disappointed to find out that that's not going to happen with your stuff. Yeah, well, so I, first of all, I should, I should say, although we do primarily superhero stuff, um, we call it the heroic adventure genre, so it's not just superheroes. But we, do, um, we, we don't yet have comics out. Uh, we, do, we have illustrated novels and short stories, um, they're mostly prose, but um, they they're they tend to be illustrated one or two illustrations per chapter by mm. Shell, um, and then you know we also have some other artists p pitching in some of that uh, contributed stuff um, that that we that we we paid to join us or that that were just really really into it. Um, also, we release all our books under Creative Commons, 
uh, under attribution share alike license because uh, we would like to encourage uh, fans to be able to do their own thing with them and uh, just eliminate any, any obstacles that might be around to, um, to, to, to getting our name out there. Anything else you want to add, Shell? Uh, we, well, we haven't released it separately yet. We do have a uh, kind of like an alternate reality Ascension Epoch comic that runs in Bexham's Bazaar uh, R- RPG and uh, Terrain Making Magazine. Um, but I think that's it. So there, there's a question from Matthew Martin, even giving the occult horror themes of, of the Kickstarter. Um, and I, I say we, we do, we do have, um, I, I guess that's, that's a, a question to my, my statement about that. You won't find like perverse stuff in there. Well, what I should say is that, uh, we don't ever try to, um, we don't wallow in it and, um, we try to be uh, cathartic more than, more than traumatic. And you'll only ever see stuff like that from our villains. Uh, we don't, we don't, um, you know, we don't have, certainly our, our superheroes are, are flawed, um, but they're not, uh, they're not evil and they're, they're not, we, we, we fundamentally recognize that there is such a thing as like, uh, good and truth, uh, in the world, even, even one that's fraught with a lot of peril and, and, um, you know, situational ambiguity, uh, but you'll never see us celebrating villainy. Sure. I think a lot of people are tired of the 90s style intro anti-hero anyway. Yeah, it's boring, frankly. It's it's played out, I think. But the, our, our our setting too is um it's it's an it's an alternate history and it takes uh, we start with the idea that much like say League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or the Wold Newton stuff that um you know, we we take uh, stuff from from public domain fiction, especially from the late 19th century and early 20th century. Um, and in our case, also from the public, from comics from the 1940s that have fallen out of copyright. And we say, what would the world be like if, if these uh, characters actually existed and, the, and these events uh, a- actually actually occurred? So that our timeline diverges in, in little ways uh, over the course of centuries, but the, the big diversion is probably around the 1850s when um, people start to, uh, manifesting superpowers again, and I say again because it's it's kind of a um, a, a reference to the time like in the in the the Greek and the the the, the classical heroic age um, when larger than life characters, um, people with you know superhuman strength and invulnerability and so forth uh, existed. So they, there's a there's a particular metaphysical reason why this happens, and in the 1850s starts coming back again. And uh, superhero, well, I will, I'll say superpowered military units fight in the Crimean War. Um, Civil War turns out a little bit differently, but then the big the big twist is that in 1898, H.G. Uh, Wells Martians really do invade Earth, um, and after that, everything is different. Like 20, 25% of humanity was wiped out. All the, all the empires, all, all the, the, the institutions of that era with their, um, their accumulated rot that, that, that have kind of messed up our, our era, um, they all die away. And a, a, new, a new world appears. Um, so, so borders are different. Uh, there's there's a, a very different history, different characters, different uh, wars, technology. Uh, and it's something that we've really thought a lot about. We've incorporated, you know, um, both our original concepts and stuff from some of the more obscure books by like, um, you know, Wells, obviously, but uh, Jules Verne, 
Rudyard Kipling, uh, a lot of the classic weird fiction stuff, uh, uh, particularly Algernon Blackwood, Ar Ar Arthur Mackin, um, Lovecraft, of course. And, and we built what I like to think is, is a really uh, cohesive and intelligent and an and exciting setting. And I, I like, if I hope this doesn't sound too arrogant, but I like to think it's, it's the gold standard in, uh, in, in alternate history superhero uh, setting. Cool. It, it, it's, but it's heavily influenced by, I don't, I don't want to say pulps. So I'm going to say pre pulps that sort of, yeah, um, for for sure. Uh, there there's a there's a pulp feel to a lot of a lot of the books, especially like our our Challenger Foundation series, which we we kind of describe as it's it's a it's a pulpy take on if uh, you know the Stanley Jack Kirby era Fantastic Four mashed up with Hammer horror movies. Um, and there's um, there, there's there's a lot of pulp Erzots pulp standing characters that we use that are important in the background because characters say like doc savage and the shadow are still are still under copyright so we can't use them directly um but we we, we make do with a, a lot of uh, a lot of characters like that who are um not maybe overtly superhuman or just marginally so but they're important to the background uh and then and then we also have you know we have some published stories like house of refuge and salamander six which don't involve any kind of superhero characters at all they're 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 very much um uh, a masculine ad adventure kind of story um where you know the guys don't have any supernatural powers they just have their their wits and their and their courage and they're against tall odds and they have to they have to come out not just on top uh you know uh, uh, prevailing over their enemies physically but morally as well well sounds like uh sounds like a lot of people in the chat are gonna like this stuff uh, i, I want to ask a uh, shell about the art and and what do you do to balance out the masculine storylines um i jump right in on that uh, as awesome. a matter of fact it's funny because salamander six is one of the books i contributed quite a bit to and uh mike wanted to put my name on the cover and i said don't put my name on the cover because guys won't buy a book <laughs> like that if they see a girl's name on the cover um but the uh so I, I've always been into, um, like, I was hugely into Spider-Man and Superman and, uh, you know, X-Men, uh, especially when that came out, Ninja Turtles, all that stuff growing up. I actually, uh, you know, I, I was not into Barbie or anything like that when I was a little girl. Um, you know, That's I like awesome. I, I like cute animals, but everyone likes cute animals. Even guys like cute animals. They just don't admit it. It's universal. Um, the so, only thing worthwhile on my Twitter feed are those accounts that post pictures of animals every hour. <laughs> yeah, that's me too. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, you need something to break up the Twitter negativity. <laughs> um, but the, uh, and actually it's funny because when I met Mike, I told him I bet I had more comic books than he did. And Mike collected comic books too growing up. Um, and then when I moved in and I moved in my like 2,500 comic books. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> this is he a match finally, made in heaven. He finally believed me. I also had, you know, a lot of comic books too. So now we have this problem 
where I have a large file filing metal filing cabinet filled with comic books and 12 long boxes also filled with comic books and we have nowhere to put them. <laughs> is that is that really a problem though? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it'll be a problem when our when our, our son is a little older and, and can d dive into the treasure trove that we have. But oh, that sounds great. We I, we we mostly got rid of the the post two thousand five trash comics that that we uh, unfortunately were, were were conned into buying. So we all most of the stuff we have left is all good stuff from the the eighties and nineties, the early nineties. Um, but to to get to like. Actually, it, it's a very good balance because while I say that, um, you know, most people know that X-Men uh, was one of the more soap opera-y uh, Marvel comics and stuff like that. And I, I am a girl and I, I do interpersonal, like I'm more interested in characters than the whole world, but it's great because Mike's interested in the whole world. So, you know, I help him balance out the characters and it's really interesting uh, when we're writing especially because, well, one, I have a very interesting and well-thought-out setting to put my characters. And then the other thing is, um, it's really interesting when we're writing because we don't often know how the other person's characters are going to react. So, like, um, you know, I, uh, if we're writing an East End Irregulars thing and, uh, you know, Threads hasn't appeared yet, but if Mike's writing a uh, scene with Torrent and Threads, he might start writing it and then uh, he'll leave it and say, like, is Threads reacting the right way? And maybe I say no when I change a line and then that changes the whole, like, how the scene's going to progress. And likewise, you know, I'll be writing a scene and I'll pause when Torrent's going to have a line and I'll just put Torrent's response and I wait for Mike to sit down. And it's interesting because you get characters that you'd never think of writing because you know obviously different people have different mindsets so mike's characters are very different than my characters and i think that's a really fun uh really fun way to write but it's also um i think it's more interesting for the readers because when you only have one person writing or creating you only get one person's mindset or viewpoint scattered throughout all the other characters that's a great insight. I'm I'm totally fascinated by your collaboration. I, of course, when you say, you know, I uh, I'm the main writer and and she also writes and and I, I build the world and we write stories. Of course, I have a picture of you guys. You know, here I wrote a cool story in in this universe. Oh yeah, I like that. Here's my version of your character, right? But no, it sounds like you you both collaborate on the same story at the same time. Yes, how does absolutely. that work? Uh, a lot of it, uh, it usually starts out with, uh, with Shell and I talking to each other on a walk or a long car ride or something. And we start hashing ideas or, um, you know, we're just sitting around the dinner table saying, you know, I, I had an idea. How would we, how would we go about this? Um, and even if it's like, I, I have, I want to do something with this character and uh, this particular thing happens, but I don't have the rest of the story. And then the, you know, Shell will chime in with some ideas she has, and and um, usually we'll start writing not without usually without a plan. We don't we don't typically do a, a written outline, but we'll have uh, spoken about it enough uh, j just just privately to each other that we have an idea of what should happen. But 
I think like any writer, once you sit down and then, you know, ideas start coming to you and twist and turn, start injecting themselves into you, in, into, in, into your story. Um, and so in, in the, from the collaborative aspect, typically I'll, I'll write, um, nowadays I usually write on Google Docs just so that Shell can look at it on her own computer when she's, uh, you know, if, if for whatever reason she can't get, you know, she, she's, she's stuck watching our son or something like that. So she can't go upstairs. So she can look it on a laptop. So, uh, and then she'll read over it and, and just tell me privately what, what she thought about it or, or, or add stuff or highlight stuff that she thinks is weird or, or wrong or, or question it or, or, you know, how to, uh, questionable it's ambiguous what does it mean and then we, we talk about it. i go back through and edit it uh sometimes that gets a little fraught because i see something highlighted in blue i'm like what's your problem with this <laughs> this is awesome yeah and uh that, that that doesn't happen too often but um yeah that's that, that's basically it we're in many ways the ascension epoch uh is something that we're always working on always constantly and even if we're not uh publishing new books we're writing stuff on it shells drawing characters we're writing little stories that we or, or parts of stories that one day we will publish and, and that will make make our way out there even if they're in snippets um in fact that's one of the reasons why we started our second website which is heroicadventurefiction.com um and we we did that we're, we're serializing a lot of our books uh on there chapter by chapter but we're also um adding stuff that little side story snippets that don't really fit in anywhere or that came about as a result of, of world building. Like there, there's so much world, like she'll mention the East end irregular stories. So um, East end irregulars are a teenage superhero group from Pittsburgh. And uh, one of the particular chapters, they fight a guy called Mr. Gentry, who's looking for a runaway who they encountered in the previous book. And the, the backstory around these characters, which doesn't appear in the novel at all, was the big inspiration for our Kickstarter. And we, we, we had all the stuff written on them and we went and flushed them out. Um, and so we did and we put it in, in a zine form. But there's, there's so much stuff like that that uh, so, details that would be too minute and would bog down the story too much to in, in put in the novel. Uh, that we just have written and we figure why not share them because um, a lot uh, surprisingly a lot of people do like that stuff in every one of our books we have uh, an appendix and it's just it's background detail or or little side stories that relate to characters or historical events or battles or um, the kind of flying cars that are available and so forth and and a, a lot of our a lot of our fan base really enjoys the appendixes as as much as the stories so that that's um that's our way of, of sharing that out oh that's really interesting that that's a good sign it it tells me i don't know what it tells you it tells me that the your readers are invested in the world you've created and and they're interested in it uh, yeah I, I i like to think so um i think the the world the setting itself is I, I love our characters but the setting itself is is an important character and uh you know i i'm more of a world builder than i am a characterization guy uh but i you know i so we're we're different than the typical um a, you know independent amazon writer i guess and and a lot of their things are very 
not to say that ours aren't character driven, but but they're like primarily character driven or or, or plot driven. Whereas um, it it's it's almost more suitable for people who play a lot of tabletop role playing games because a you know a, a a game master will take a module or some setting material and then make it their own and and fill in fill in the details of the sandbox. That that's what um, that's the kind of writing I really enjoy. You like you like being presented with a setting or a situation or a set of characters and and filling out the details. Yeah, and and uh, you know at, always adding your own your own your own twist to it and and you know the, you, you think about our own world. There, there's there's individual stories going on and that are exciting and important, but for every one of those stories, there's millions of other stories that are also going on at the same time that. Uh, an author never will will never usually look at right, and this is this is how you get spinoff TV series, right? Um, you get the side some, the side characters really start appealing to people, or you say, hey, what hat? While the main characters were doing this thing, what was happening um, elsewhere? And I I think that is uh, an important aspect of the shared universe, and I that's why I I, um, I value the shared universe, and I think. Uh, it it's sort of coming into a little bit of criticism lately, like with the the you know the Marvel movies, and some people say, well, is it really better that they're all in the same universe and so forth? Um, and is it you know you, you have to wrap all this continuity together? Uh, but I'm I'm not a believer in the idea that continuity is bad. I think continuity is great, and I think the idea that these characters have relationships and and the things they do impact one another, even if they're not in the same book. Um, is awesome. I really enjoy that. And I, I think that that's, that's, that's a very familiar concept to most readers of superhero comics. So I, I, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. Sure. That makes sense. Are, are you, but in terms of the stories that you have so far, are you building on the previous stories a lot or is someone, can someone pick up any book in the setting and <clears throat> get a good story without needing to understand any of the context. Yes, I, I, I think uh, they're written modularly. Like there, we have each book um, is mostly in its own series. So while they all take place in the same universe, and you'll hear references to certain characters or certain things that may have happened in in one of the other books, you don't need to read them all, and you don't need to read them in any particular order. The exception would be books within a series, like our in our East End regular series. We have two novels. We have After Dark and The Dismal Tide. And that's you have to read them in order, right? Because they're the you know the second one is a continuation of the first one, but but otherwise anyone uh, can pick up any of the stories or even like some of the shorts we've published elsewhere in in other anthologies and feel right at home. And there there is a, a certain element of I, I like to think it's it's tantalizing more than confusing is that there, there's references to these bigger things going on that went or that went on in the past that um, hopefully pique other people's interest, but you don't need to know, say, um, e even, even though the political order of the world in the modern day in our book, House of Refuge is, is based on the stuff that happened a hundred years ago when the Martians invaded and destroyed most of, uh, you know, all the great powers of humanity. Um, it's not, you don't need to know any of that happened to enjoy the book. It, it's not necessary to the understanding. Uh, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say too that um, you know it, it's not even expected that everyone reads every book. Like we didn't, how to put it, 
Uh, House of Refuge and Salamander Six are firmly like men's ad men's adventure or uh, military sci-fi or speculative sci-fi. Um, they're not super heroic, and uh, you know, different things are going to appeal to different readers, and uh, we did that intentionally. Uh, there are people. For example, if I was not writing the Ascension Epoch, if I was only reading it, uh, I'll be honest and say I would probably not read House of Refuge or Salamander Six. Um, I like my stories way more fantastic than that. Copper Knights and Granite Men, uh, Population of Loss, and the East End Irregulars are way more my cup of tea, even though I wrote part of Salamander Six and I very much enjoy them. I can appreciate them nonetheless. Um, but yeah, no one has to read every book. You can dive into any particular series, whatever piques your interest. Um, and uh, it's, it's exactly the same way that, you know, uh, if you like X-Men back in the day, you might not have been picking up Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. They're two different types of uh, genres, even though they're both very good. How do you differentiate those stories to prospective readers? I'm, I'm guessing cover. Yeah, the, the, the covers, the cover is always a, a tricky thing because um, especially with, so Shell does all of our covers and uh, she's, she's very good at it and she's gotten, she's, she's gotten better through the various iterations we've done. But yeah, there's an expectation that within a certain genre, all covers look the same way. And that, and that can kind of be something that uh, artists uh, have a, and creative types in general have a problem dealing with because they're like, no, I, I don't want to look the same as everything else. But if, if you don't have a lot of the same touchstones, you stand out in a bad way and people don't know what you're about and they're not willing to take a chance on it. So that, I mean, certainly the, the cover expectations are, are uh, among that. And, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty open at, descri at describing um, like we, we don't make a big deal necessarily about this, all the books being in the same universe, we kind of put that in the fourth or fifth paragraph of, of the description, and you know, or it's or it's it's in the back of the book, and uh, it it is um, it it I, I guess people could be scared off of it, like if they're if they're you know if if they think oh Salamander Six a sci-fi firefighting adventure that sounds great I'm like oh but it's tied to the superhero stuff uh, so we don't we don't overemphasize it, well, but I, I think. I was going to say, how many reviews for House of Refuge when, like, everyone was reading it? It's like, man, this is a really great uh, military sci-fi story. And it, it's really grounded in, in reality. And it's, like, only slightly speculative and stuff like that. And then, you know, they get to the end. It's like, I'm reading the appendix and there was a Martian invasion? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, the thing, I, I actually think it, it's been successful for the most part because we get people um, – we're not we're not we're not destroying we're not subverting their expectations right if we tell them they're getting like a a, a nautical adventure military sci-fi book that's exactly what they're getting and then at the end we we kind of broaden the horizons a bit and um from everything we've heard um i think people are are intrigued by it and they're not turned off by it that's great uh that's great that you've been able to make that work uh, and and I am checking out some of the covers on on the adventure, uh, sorry, Ascension Epic site, and I like them. I think there there's some really good stuff here. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to blush and say thank you since I designed them. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I, that, that was that was a compliment for you. There you go. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's really difficult too because um, 
how to put it. Like you're always growing as an artist. So obviously I draw better now than I did when we first put the books out too. And you have to constantly resist the urge to uh, go back and redo things mm-hmm. and you have to keep moving forward. But uh, the after dark cover, um, I did like 80% of the uh, painting on that. And I actually uh, hired someone to help me uh, make it look a little more polished and professional. Um, and I can't remember that person's name off the top of my head because they wanted their real name used and not their uh, deviant art handle. Let me see um, if I can let me see if I can pull this image up. Uh, but I mean, um, keep going. Sorry. Oh, but what I was saying um, is that uh, that's actually the third cover for After Dark. Um, but uh, a- as I was getting at, um, you know making a book cover is really difficult and uh, people expect a certain professional level. So as I get better at it, we, we keep retouching the book covers um, just because we're, we're trying to meet people's expectations with that. And that's a hard part of growing as an artist. No, I, good. I had a, a website I made. It was a fan site for a role-playing game I played. Um, and I did my absolute best with the very first time I threw it up online. And then, yeah, I knew it was garbage. I mean, I knew it just didn't look, uh, good. It didn't look as good as I wanted. It didn't look especially decent, but I just kept iterating on it. I just kept not just adding new stuff to it, but would revise things as I got a little bit better, as I learned more HTML or as I got, you know, I could enhance some of the graphics or whatever. And it kept on getting better and better and better. And, and that's really, um, unless you've already had a chance to make your skills and you're working as a professional, that's great. But for people who are, are learning and, and building those skills up, that's the only way you can do it. And you just, you just got to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do the absolute best I can do right now, and it doesn't matter. I'm going to make it better later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, nobody, even even very accomplished people, I think that n- nobody gets it perfect the first time. And and certainly, you know, as you're as you're young and you're building your skill as you're as you're uh, an, a young writer, you're going to write thousands and thousands of pages before you do anything that's really good. Um, and the 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 truth is okay. So we uh, we published the first Ascension Epoch book almost six years ago now, uh, but we were working on it for like five years, and we went b- 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 entirely before we put anything out. And we 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 built this on many different iterations, and we had very sketchy ideas, and only of the sort that like, well, I want to have this, but not this, and I want to make alternate history important part. And gee, I like airships, so let's get Rudyard Kipling's ABC stories in there somewhere. And uh, you know, pr- but over over time, like our, con- our conceptions of the characters, of their powers, of their personalities, that all changed through hundreds of different iterations. Some of them that that maybe were never even written down on paper, but that. I mentioned before how Shell and I would just talk about things for hours and hours, and a lot of that stuff got worked out over over the months and years of just brainstorming on it. And it, it certainly, it's not something that that comes comes to you right away. 
Well, that's that's fantastic. And yeah, I hope like Daddy Warpick is saying, I hope we get a chance to appreciate the the journey as and who knows? Lots of books have been reissued in the future with brand new covers that make no sense or or whatever <laughs> new publishers. So maybe you'll get an opportunity to revisit the not that not the particular pieces, but get a get more chances to do art for some of your favorite stories. Uh, this this is cool. This this is a great project that you two are doing as a as professionals and a couple, and it's really. Um, yeah, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at this work. This is cool. Well, thank, thank you very much. Yeah. And, and, uh, Raleigh Nianzi asked a, a little while ago, how do I get involved in this? I, I mentioned before that it, it's, uh, it's open to anybody who wants to do whatever they want commercially, non-commercially. Uh, it's, you can read our stories. You can get on our websites. You can, uh, you can, can talk to us and, um, write your own thing. You can, do fan art. You can, you can do, you can publish your own stories. You can make your own adaptations of like rewrites of our stories. If, if you, if you really want to do that. Um, and we just release everything under creative commons attribution share alike license. So that means that uh, the share alike part just means that um, whatever you release it, it has to be licensed under the same terms. And, and that, you know, if you're creating new characters, if you're what, 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 whatever it is you're doing. And we have quite a, a, a a larger, I'd say we have about a dozen artists who have um, helped us with artwork and they, they've submitted their artwork under, under that license. Um, we, we don't really have any published writers yet, but we do have a, a couple people who we've met at conventions that have come up and said, yeah, I, I, I really like this and I, I, I want to work and I want to contribute stuff to your, uh, to the, to, sto to our story. And uh, I, I think that's great. And I really welcome that. And I love, um, you know, if, if anybody uh, once enjoys our characters or our universe and um, they want to add to it or they want to adapt our characters to another setting, hey, that's that's cool. And more people that want to do that, the better. Yeah, I, I uh, want to toss in there. It's like it, anyone can do anything they want on their own. Um, the If you want to try to make it fit into the Ascension Epoch, then you should uh, give us a, you know, give us a shout and we'll try to help you. Uh, melded in but even if it doesn't fit in the universe even if we have different plans for the characters or something like that you know do do your uh paid fan fiction write it and sell it we're, yeah. we're all for that so That's we we, ha we actually have on the website there's a certain section that talks about our divisions of canon and uh uh it was something we we struggled with early on is if, if anybody want, can just write whatever they want how do we how what's true and and i think what it comes down to is that everybody has their own canon. We have our own canon, and we call that canon. And then, and we have stuff that uh, the division below that is apocrypha, and that's stuff that doesn't explicitly conflict with anything we've written, but we're not sure how if we want to commit to it. And the step below that is uh, schismata. So if, if you're it, 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 it's a uh, you've schismed from our universe. You've uh, you've done something that that is inher inherently contradicting something we've presented before, and then the fourth category is bat country, which is just uh, some you know whatever goofy lunatic stuff you want to do. Like if you want to turn the characters into um, cars, um, yeah. If you want to turn the characters into into transforming cars instead of humans, then that would be a uh, you know that would be your category. But you're welcome to do whatever you like. Bat country, I love it. <laughs> and um, 
to to that point and kind of like to set an example for people too when the opportunity came to do a comic for Bexham's Bizarre magazine uh, I do a half page comic every month for them so it's a strip but um, I was like well I'm going to go somewhere in between uh, Schismata and Backcountry it's probably more Backcountry um, <laughs> and I'm going to reimagine all of our characters as uh, Dungeons and Dragons medieval type characters and throw them in a completely different setting. So and it works surprisingly well. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that brings me to, to two points. I wanted to make uh, one very important question. But the first thing is I can just picture poor Rawl uh, writing his bat country uh, anime fighting girl version of of your characters and waking up in the morning and going to his Google docs and finding a bunch of blue highlights. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we, we have, uh, you know, uh, some of our unpublished characters are, are definitely of, of like the, the, the anime Supergirl, you know, or that the, the uh, Ozma can... and Ali Kazam are definitely. Sure. And <laughs> let me just say, I have not gotten to read Raul. Is it Raleigh Nancy? I have not gotten to read his uh book about the uh puritan pilgrim and the japanese pop star idol uh teaming up to you know save all of history but that sounds awesome and i want to read that shining tomorrow i believe yes <laughs> that's on uh, my to read list that's great to hear uh I, I should jump on the miwi bandwagon you guys have such a great community uh, i did have a question you've you, this you've dropped this subtle hint many many times and so i want to know what are your plans if any or where is the tabletop rpg for this setting i'm glad you written. asked Partially yeah. written. so um that's part of what our kickstarter was for uh dauntless is is a literary but literary literary zine but it's it's actually mo more a tabletop role-playing game uh, magazine eventually we'll turn it to a, uh, a tabletop wargaming magazine as well because there's a lot of wars in the ascension epochs history that i would like to make scenarios for um but the i have been working on and off for years on on like my own system but lately i i've settled on using the old tsr marvel superheroes face rip system um because it's already written it's already freely available out there um, it already has a pretty good fan base and it's, it's very simple. So, um, one of the, one of the stretch goals for a Kickstarter was so that our, our zine is, is system neutral. So you can use whatever you want for it. Um, but one of our, our stretch goals was to have like face rip character cards that were uh, compatible with face ripper 4C or some other, uh, some other retro clone of that. Um, and so they'll be, they'll be delivered as, as part of the, the, the shipment. Um, but as far as like the setting itself, I've written, uh, let's see, four or five modules that are, are, are in various stages of completion in Bexham's bizarre magazine that she'll mention that she does the incorrigible imp strip. Um, we've published a, a sandbox adventure, set in Pittsburgh in the East end of regulars, Pittsburgh. So there's, there's a lot of work on that front. And I think most of it will start to come out in dauntless. Um, but we also, um, periodically in Bexham's Bazaar, we have a, a series called, uh, false documents and false documents is set in the Ascension epoch. And it's there, there are articles about 
fictional books, like say, you know, like the obvious one is the Necronomicon, right? But that's so obvious we don't do it. But we've done uh, things like uh, the Joyce Armstrong fragment from uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Horror of the Heights. Uh, we've done the Deep School Manual from Manly Wade Wellman's John Thunston stories. Um, the um, the Bruce Partington plans from the Sherlock Holmes story. And what was the other one? Oh, yeah, transcripts of the Medium Bay Rolls from Ambrose Bierce's, um Weird Fiction. And we, we, we take these fictional books that were in these classic stories and say uh, what's in them how you can use them in your game. Um, sometimes they'll have, they'll describe monsters. Sometimes they'll have spells. Sometimes the secret history stuff. And we include lots of plot hooks and characters that you can use to inject into your own superhero games and your modern horror games. Um, or you can easily adapt them to like medieval fantasy or sci-fi or um, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty open-ended. Oh, cool. Sounds like fun. Uh, I love that stuff. I've never been a, a superhero systems guy, but uh, I, tabletop games are my jam. I'm I'm gonna look forward to seeing what you've got, all that stuff that you've got out for that. Uh, uh, we, I, we have. Uh, I'm just reading through the chat here. So, uh, Matthew Martin asks, "What's the best way to get the MSH Marvel Superhero System in print?" Um, you can actually because it's in a weird state where neither um, Marvel, Marvel and TSR. Both had like joint copyright over it, and TSR doesn't exist anymore, and neither of them could republish it. It's in a state where it's at. You can actually download the PDFs for free, and nobody cares about it. Like nobody makes us think about it. It's um, you can go on uh, Classic Marvel Forever or some other websites, and 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 they're they're freely. If you know if if you're okay with reading them on your computer and stuff like that. Otherwise, uh, I would say check out a retro clone like 4C, um, or, or there's there's one called Face Rip too face rip yes that's, uh, that's a funny name <laughs> face rip stands for um the the main stats in the game which are fighting agility strength endurance reason intuition and psyche that's where that comes from love it you see why my knock against um Druckmann at the top of the show because i knew they had rpg materials on superheroes and face rip had all of those stats <laughs> and <laughs> Druckmann yep. could come up with two. Uh, I thought it was very telling that he didn't list his charisma. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, seriously, brains and brawn, that's it? And he was probably overestimating both of them, I guess. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Okay, so let's 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 tie those two threads together, guys. You stick beauty on there? Beauty. I mean, <laughs> for a comic book character? And uh, I'm put you. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. You don't have to answer, but I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Do you have self-insert characters? Ooh, can I answer this one? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, a as a rule, I try never to. Uh, I never to try to base a character totally on, like yourself. When you're writing, you tend to put yourself in like parts of yourself into certain characters. Shell has a very good YouTube video on this, by the way. Yes. But go ahead. Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Um, but uh, I do do nods and like insert people visually into uh, our story. So Mike does not claim to be Signalman. 
or, you know, anything like Signalman. I like to think that, uh, you know, specific parts of Mike, particularly his uh, conviction, uh, can be seen in Signalman. But I'm the artist and I get to make the decisions on that. So Signalman is visually based on Mike. I tweak his proportions to be more heroic, more classically heroic because no one looks like Captain America. Um, but yeah, uh, Signalman is visually based on Mike. And then uh, there's actually, she's mentioned a lot in the uh, first issue of Dauntless, uh, Kali Hutira uh, is... Uh, She's a homeless girl with a very interesting power set, and I based her visually off of myself, so I put myself in as a homeless character. <laughs> uh, and and I, I, I to, to go to emphasize what Chill said, there, there's nobody that is like, there's, there's no complete stand-in for Mike DeBaggio or, or Shell DeBaggio in this thing, but uh, certainly... A lot of different characters have elements of different different aspects of our personality or background. Um, Torrent, the one of the main characters, that's the guy with the goggles in the East End Irregulars book. He he can control power. He <coughs> excuse, excuse me, his power is to control water. Um, but like his, uh, he's based on like on a, on a very early X Men original X Men character that I made back when I was like in fourth grade. But and he he's developed so much over time, but he has a lot of aspects of his personality are based on me, especially when I was a teenager, a lot of the things he thinks and the way he, be and especially the flawed ways he behaves in particular um, are, are, are based on things that I've gone through, even little stories in his life. Like the thing about the gypsies in this, um, in this, in the second book is, is based on like stuff, stuff that I believed stupidly or had happened to me. Uh, in in our, you know, in, in my actual real life, and then you know other characters, um, you know there there's, uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say as your wife because I don't know if you uh, notice this or not, but uh, Signalman and Torrent are completely different characters. They're like polar opposites in many ways, but uh, they're they try to have their uh, core values be the same. And they, they live a hundred years apart from each other. But as Mike's wife, I can tell you that uh, Mike's, Mike sort of divvied parts of his personality into both. And it's interesting because Torrent, very, Torrent is very flawed and very much so wants to be signalman. And I think, uh, you know, seeing Mike, he he too would like to be Signalman, and uh, there's an interesting character dynamic between the two of those characters. The Signalman, by the way, is the greatest hero of the Martian War. He he was a, a railway worker. He appears in our book Population Loss for the first time, where he gets his powers, um, and he's essentially he meets a, he meets an angel, and who who gives him. Um, uh, holy lenses there are these metaphysical constructs in that um allow him to express the providential hand of god the wrath of god and and so forth and he has anyway he he becomes he's he's just a normal irishman low low class railway worker in the 1890s and but he becomes like this this great hero um and a lot of his, his power is in is in his simplicity and his his humility and he he in our universe he's he be, he's he becomes canonized, and so he's he's like he's the patron saint of of superheroes. Um, and that's fact, awesome. 
and Torrent, at, Torrent and, and some of the characters in um, in the East End Regulars actually go to St. Jameson Doyle Parish. And that Jameson Doyle is the real name of the, of, of the signalman. So there's, we have that, that come full circle in the, in our series. That's really cool. Actually. I've, uh, I've exhausted my great list of questions for you guys. Uh, Daddy Warpig, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? Caught him sleeping. Got him. No, <laughs> I, I, I was trying to figure out, uh, um, <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, if they had any final words because we're kicking on towards the uh, end of we the are, show. We're well out of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I, would, I do want to say thank you guys for having us on here. Thanks to everybody who joined in the chat. And then also to say, if you do want to check out our stuff, ascensionepoch.com or heroicadventurefiction.com and a special offer to, to viewers of this program. If you subscribe to our email list on the Ascension Epoch website within the next 24 hours, we will randomly select one of you to get a free print copy of any of our books. Oh, sounds like a good deal. Shell, last words? Um, HeroicAdventureFiction.com, AscensionEpoch.com. And if you look up Shell Presto on YouTube, you will find my channel as well. Uh, and I do have a video entirely talking about putting... Uh, a writing exercise of putting yourself into uh, characters and divvying up your personality. Um, but besides that, thanks. This has been really fun, guys, and I'm yeah, glad awesome. to finally be on. Uh, I have enjoyed having you guys on. It's your delight to speak with. And we'll uh, make sure those links that you talked about for the mailing list and, and those websites, they're, they should be in the show notes later. So anybody listening later can check that out. And I appreciate everybody listening to this uh on their commutes or hanging out with us live in the chat. Chat was lively today. Uh, you get a lot of great followers. Uh, so do we. I mean, our followers are cool too. Uh, uh, it's always fun chatting with you guys and uh, my inimitable co-host, Daddy Warpig. Um, so a couple of uh, episodes ago, they somebody told us apparently our unofficial motto is uh, come on geek gab and and learn how to publicize yourself. Do I have that right? <laughs> Is that so? Yeah, you're the one who said it. Do, am uh, I, do I have it right? So, uh, that might. That's probably what I said, or close to it. Or advertise, learn how to advertise yourself. Hey man, my memory's something else. <laughs> shot. It was your rant, homie. Come on. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> Thanks for killing my momentum, dude. So what I was going to say is uh, we love to have you guys on. Uh, it was great fun because uh, we didn't have to do that this week. You guys were excited uh, and uh, very refreshing. You had lots of things to talk about. You're excited to talk about it. You uh, described your stuff with verve and explained to people why they should check it all out. And, uh, it was just great to see that happening. Uh, I cannot tell you, uh, how enjoyable that is. The, uh, so, you know, we may have to point back at this episode sometime. It's like, you want to go on a podcast or something and talk about your stuff, do what they did, you know, be prepared, be excited, get ready to tell people what's going on in an interesting way. You know, not just like 
the 20 minute objectivist philosophical <laughs> outlook that caused you to want to make this book, but like, what's in it that's awesome and why is it awesome and, and what is the audience going to get out of this can i just briefly say that the very first book we put out was <laughs> was uh one won a prize in a libertarian fiction authors contest but it, it, <laughs> it, it was unique because it was not over it was you know normal libertarian fiction is all about it's like an economics treatise and so forth you know this is not uh, it, it was it was i think it caught the, the reviewers by surprise because it, it was nothing like that it was an actual story <laughs> Uh, but we are uh, very grateful you guys uh, came on, had a lot of time. So I want to say thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Um, when I say thanks, of course, to my awesome, awesome co-host, I want to say thanks to everybody who uh, came and jumped in and is uh, listening live or will be listening to uh, later. And a big double, triple, quadruple thanks to everybody participating in the chat today. Had a lively chat, a lot of people talking about various, various stuffs. Uh, I want to say thanks to Neil Druckmann, not only giving <laughs> me a great rant today, but also accomplishing something that I thought was frankly impossible. I did not think it was possible. After seeing all the leaks and learning all the stuff that was going down in the leaks, I did not think it was physically possible to make a game worse than that. But you succeeded. Your actual <laughs> game was worse than what the leaks led me to believe. So, dude, and I'm not even, I mean, I'm kind of being facetious, but still, man, it literally is. It was worse than I thought. I don't know how you could do that. But you did it, man. Congratulations. <laughs> so, uh, quick sip of Mountain Dew here. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah, I'm drinking high test stuff today. Normally, I'm here sipping on water. This show, I'm doing Mountain Dew. It's, uh, you know, I'm going to be... I'm glad I could be part of the show with that variant. <laughs> In nine days' time, I'm going to be forbidden from drinking soda pop for the entire rest of my life on doctor's orders. So I've got get it nine, while you can. Yeah, I got nine days to enjoy the last soda pop I'll ever have ever. So what the heck? That's that's it. The hard stuff while we. Still <laughs> <laughs> um. I uh, want to say thank you to everybody who's going to be listening later. You can get this show live. Geek Gab, you can get the show live uh, every weekday about the same, every Saturday about this, every weekday, <laughs> yeah. every Saturday about the same time um, on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. That's YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. You can also catch us on the Apple iTunes store. You can catch us on SoundCloud.com and you can catch us on the Google Play Store, subscribe to us there, our podcast. Just do a search for Geek Gab, and you can listen to us on the device of your choice. Folks, we are, ladies and gentlemen, we are my good, good people, the unusually intelligent, unusually sexually attractive folks who listen to this show every single week. We're signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will. Be back.